Well, I'm glad that you're here, Nate. I'm glad that you can make it. So welcome to this episode of Classroom Matters. And we're going to be talking a little bit on this episode with Nate Porter. Um, And Nate has seen so many changes um, in the school districts that he's worked in and the one that he's currently working in. When we're talking about um, what's happening with students learning from home during the pandemic that are coming from a very low socioeconomic background. Nate, thanks for coming on the show. How's it going? It's going well. Uh, thank you for inviting me. It's been a while. I know, right? Nate and I have somewhat of a history. We've known each other. Gosh, how many years has it been now, Nate? Uh, 10, 8, something like that. Something like that. I, yeah. I, I stopped counting. Um, so Nate and I were, uh, were classmates when we were getting our educational specialist degree. And so we, we did a lot of hard work together and we've both worked really hard and we, we love what we do in education. And so I'm just thrilled to have Nate, um, on the show with us, with us today. And so Nate, I really want to talk a lot about what are some of the challenges that are happening now, um, with these kids in these low socioeconomic school districts? I think one of greatest challenges that they're facing is a lot of them don't have the resources to learn and uh, study and and do their assignments uh, using technology. Uh, Some of the families are extremely uh, limited in their uh, financial uh, resources. Um, What our district has done is, uh, in those cases, we've given students uh, hard copies of work and Part of that uh, not being completed is due to some parents not really uh, spending the quality time to help those kids get that work done. It's a struggle mm-hmm. one way uh, one way or the other, and uh, we've been trying to figure it out. Teachers have uh, set up uh, uh, forms of communication to help the students when they're struggling, but the majority of the students are are in these highly impoverished communities. They don't have resources, computers, and Wi-Fi hookups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you've mentioned two of the big things I want to get deeper into with the digital divide and also the the amount of truancy that I think that we're seeing in these types of demographics. But give us a little bit of background about your, your um, educational work and your expertise. So talk to us a little bit about how many years you've been in education. Do I have to mention that? <laughs> It'll date Yeah. Me. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We're all old on the show. <laughs> I've been in this for over 30 years, and I still feel like it's my first day. I find energy each day going in and working with kids. Um, I started out as a fourth grade teacher and did that for about five years, and I uh, – moved on to work in the federal government that had an academic, uh, a mandatory academic program for inmates that didn't have their high school diploma. So I worked with them for 12 years and uh, felt the need to move on and get back into the public schools as an administrator. And I've been doing that for some time. And so have you mostly worked in low socioeconomic school districts throughout your career? No. Um, so you, you see the difference then in the different types of demographics that you've worked in. Oh, absolutely. And the, one of the biggest differences is, uh, parental support. You find that, uh, more affluent communities, uh, you have the resources, you have parents who generally 
are better educated uh, as opposed to um, urban communities where parents may not have a great history or fond memories of being in school. They may have struggled. So they pass that mm-hmm. on to their kids. And um, there's not a great affinity for school and academic achievement. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it's funny that you bring that up, and and because I think that's a really great point, and I don't think that we've talked about that um, not only in the last month or so in the episodes that we've done concerning the pandemic and how kids are learning at home, but I don't know if we've talked about that in general. Um, the point that you mentioned about kids that are in a home where parents possibly didn't have the best experience in school, or maybe didn't have an opportunity to finish school, or maybe education wasn't important in their household growing up, that is obviously going to be passed on to the child. And especially in a time now where, you know, there may or may not be a lot of supervision, you know, during the day and keeping up with what the kids um, are needing to do, because everyone is sort of scrambling around on a day-to-day basis to figure out um, what everybody's supposed to be doing. I don't know if there is a big push in some of these lower socioeconomic um, demographic school districts' homes to get their kids to log in every day. And we try to encourage students to do that, but when kids aren't supervised at home, mm-hmm. you know, they tend to do other things. And you give them a computer, what are they going to do? Play video games. Sure. If the parents yep. aren't there or interested uh, and, and not supervising them, you're going to end up with, you know, just a lost opportunity. It's really unfortunate that uh, our kids are going through this now. They're already substantially behind academically um, compared to their uh, peers in other school districts, other affluent school districts. And uh, this isn't helping at all. Yeah. And I think that I read a couple of things I was reading this week, and one was the Education Week research from the Education Week Research Center talking about um, both the access to the digital divide um, in lower socioeconomic school districts. But they also stated that um, there was a third less students logging in uh, truancy in lower socioeconomic school districts school districts than um, the higher socioeconomic school districts. So it's a big problem. And, and how do you get around that? You know, it's, you know, kind of the same thing when kids are in school, they miss a lot of school. And yeah. so um, that is definitely a big, big challenge right now. And what we're going to see with that is even bigger learning gaps from when kids left, you know, it's, it's been what, six weeks now, I think um, into when we go back in, the fall, because I'm, I'm, you know, fairly confident that there's not going to be a lot of learning going on in not only lower socioeconomic school districts, but in a lot of households, like I'm looking forward to the summer so we can kind of push some of those, you know, strict academics aside. So what do you think this is going to look like in the fall with some of these kids that have these big learning gaps? And how are we going to overcome that? I'm trying to figure that out myself. The gap is going to grow greater. And that's obvious. You're still dealing with an educational system uh, within itself that's ill-equipped to prepare kids at the school um, because of the uh, uh, environment that they're under. You know, the majority of uh, predominantly Black and Hispanic communities uh, have poor educational system, and it's a cycle. You know, parents have failed, kids go, they fail. You don't get the top quality uh, educators going to those systems because 
they don't mm-hmm. want to do it. You know, if you look at the mm-hmm. two communities here where I live, um, one has a billion dollar budget and the one I'm at, you know, we're barely buying butter for bread and it's things like that. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have the resources, the kids are already going to fail. So throw on top of that uh, COVID-19 on top of uh, kids not having um, uh, well-funded homes where they can have resources and things like that, it's Mm -hmm. going to create a greater gap. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And going back to what you just said about the, the schools themselves, possibly not having the resources to give or to use to teach students that are at home or remotely. Because if you're in a higher socioeconomic demographic, then the school itself is probably going to have more technology. They probably already have a lot of computers or tablets. The students have computers at home. But when you're dealing with lower socioeconomic school districts, the staff themselves may not have a lot of those items and they probably don't have a lot to give to students that are lacking. I'm sure that it was sort of a messy, chaotic scramble to give out what they did have to families when all of this occurred. Yeah. And on top of that, um, this happened all of a sudden. So no one was all prepared. Of a sudden. No, right. no, no district was prepared. But you think about uh, the poor districts with already uh, a limited budget, limited resources and things like that. They're scrambling to put the basics together and get them out. And it's not happening, you know, and, and going back to the situation with the parents, you know, if a parent has failed in, in school, they didn't, they did graduate, get a high school diploma. Uh, the students are far more likely uh, to suffer uh, the long-term effects of all of that. You know, the, the cycle continues. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you have illegal drug use in these communities. Uh, um, everyone knows someone or even have a family member that spent time in jail. Uh, most of those people, and, and I'm not judging anyone, uh, you can find in, in, in uh, affluent districts as well. But, you know, we have people that are on government assistance and, you know, and these community, poor communities, folks have poor health. They can't afford go, to go to the doctor. So the kids aren't going. Mm-hmm. They're not healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the grim statistics are, are, are the result of a failing educational system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you and I have had those conversations, you know, many times before about it's a system failure. It's not necessarily a, a, it's not a parent failure. It's not a kid failure. It's not a teacher failure. It's a, it's, it truly is a failure on the entire system itself. And so where do you think, like, do you think that this is going to affect school dropout rates or even more truancy when we uh, hopefully go back to session in the fall or, you know, lack of importance put on education come fall because we've kind of, I wouldn't say dropped the ball on it now, but we've kind of struggled through this. Yeah. um, What kinds of things do you think that we're going to see as challenges come August? You got to find students that are going to be far behind. Another issue that you, you're dealing with in these communities is the attendance rate. Mm-hmm. I've looked at a district just recently where they have a 50, 56% attendance rate. That's atrocious. So you already have kids that aren't showing up. Um, 
Let me see. Um, chronic attendance. On a good Il- day when sc- on a on a good day when school's in session. Yeah, uh, in Illinois, <laughs> chronic attendance is at ten percent. So uh, this district, I want to say, had thirty six hundred students. So you're talking mm-hmm. about three hundred and sixty something students that are missing school. In some districts, that's an entire building. You know, you have elementary sure. schools that I mean, just imagine kids not showing up in the building. So you Half have of that, the kids. Pro- yeah, you, you have that problem going on, mm-hmm. and the struggles with the academic portion of it. Uh, poorly trained teachers; these kids are suffering. They are, yeah. Th- th- there's going to be some type of retention going on in a global manner in in, in these communities. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I was having a, a podcast episode, I don't know, last week or the week before with a, a reading specialist, and we were looking at the national uh, assessment uh, results that they put out every year. And I believe it was something like only 34% of fourth grade students were reading at or above grade level, and 35% of eighth grade students were reading at or above grade level. And that's across the nation. So when you're sitting here talking about, you know, in Illinois, 56% of kids are showing up to school in some of these lower socioeconomic school districts, and that's when school's in session. Um, So what do you think are some things that are attributing to, I want to get back to the the truancy that you just spoke about. What are some things that you're thinking and that you're seeing being in these buildings on a daily basis are attributing to these kids not being in school every day? I think the biggest contributor is parental support. Uh, support mm-hmm. of the school, uh, encouraging students to, to do their best. Those things tend to be one of the biggest factors. And you have some households where you have kids 10 years old that are responsible for kids younger than them. So they're taking care mm-hmm. of kids. In some cases, they're trying to deal with uh, social issues in the household. Parents may, may be on drugs. So there's not that encouragement to uh, make any uh, uh, academic endeavors. So school is the last thing that they have on mind, uh, on their mind. And mm-hmm. if they so happen to get to school, they're not focused on that. You know, mm-hmm. dad may have just beat mom. I've seen instances where kids are totally withdrawn because of violence at the homes or they're not eating. You see kids hoarding food. So we're going. This is going to be um, a, a totally different uh, generation that we have coming along in the next few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now we're looking at a situation where parents are really struggling. A lot of parents have are have lost their jobs, or have been furloughed, or are possibly still able to work at, at a fast food restaurant or a regular, you know, cause all the restaurants are still sort of functioning curbside and certain big box stores are still work, you know, but they have to have to leave and go to work. And yeah. so, like you said, these, these kids that are at home, if they do have the technology, you know, e- even my kids and I'm here with them all day, every day, mm-hmm. I get a lot of pushback from my, from my own children um, on wanting to log on or wanting to get online or wanting to finish, you know, X, Y, Z piece of schoolwork. It's an, it's an everyday conversation and I get a lot of pushback. So just imagine a home where parents, um, whether it's within their, um, control or not, not being there to say, 
you need to log in. Do you have your assignments done? Or even checking in with them and reading books with them at the end of the day, because like you said, in homes and some of these lower socioeconomic school districts, it's just not a priority. Absolutely. Education is probably the strongest predictor of social outcomes and success. And uh, I mean, even more than employment status or you have to have that background in order to succeed. Um, mm-hmm. There are many pathways that it can lead you to, but the unfortunate thing is within the system that we have worked in, uh, educational failures can quickly lead us down other pathways. It's a cycle mm-hmm. in a lot of these communities. Mom and dad have failed. They project that onto their kids. Um, even if you call parents into the school, there's still that, tension that they have about being in that place and they become a little aggravated and or they avoid it so the kids are picking this up that that vibe is prevalent throughout some of these communities yeah yeah and i i definitely have seen that as well um in you know the the last school district that i worked in if the parents came in and and had no concern or not a lot of, of, of respect or wanting to really have like good conversations with me that the child was the same way because they see the parents aren't caring. So why should they care? Um, right. So if our, if the folks that are listening, the majority teachers, folks trying to help these types of families, what are, what are some, what is some advice that you can give them? Because I know that some of the teachers that you work with even are really doing the very best that they can to try to reach some of these families, to try to reach some of these kids, to try to make sure that they're getting what they need. And I'm sure they're feeling frustrated and and overwhelmed and sort of a hopeless situation. What are what are some things that you can tell them to maybe encourage them to continue to to do the work? You got to hold on. It's a tough job that we've uh, chosen to do. Uh, I, and I kind of feel b- bad for some of these teachers. You know, the pay isn't great. No, no one got into education to become a millionaire. That's for sure. Mm-mm. No um, way. But you, you need. <laughs> and uh, if they did, I haven't gotten my million yet. Have you? Yeah. <laughs> no. <Nope. laughs> um, Where's my money, Nate? <laughs> <laughs> you um, there has to be a great support system, and I think the administration has to be a significant part of setting that tone. You got to have that vision and that mission that we talk about. And I think it is, uh, for, for me, um, I have to be the number one cheerleader and I have to make myself mm-hmm. aware of what's going on in the building to identify problems. Um, one of the things I do, I'm in the classrooms every day, uh, several times a day, just walking around to get a sense of what's going on. If a teacher's having a bad day, you know, you go in there and try to encourage them. And um, some days I'll even teach a lesson. But it, it takes a team effort. Uh, everyone needs to be involved. You need to have board members that understand that these teachers are, are working in a very challenging environment. The cl- classroom, we, we, we're not fortunate enough to get uh, the top level students to walk in that classroom that are already um, two great levels ahead of their peers. It's not like that for us. So developing yeah. uh, uh, collaborative teams and getting all your stakeholders involved, people who 
can help you. It's, it's not a one-person job. And I think sometimes teachers feel isolated that there's no one to help them. That's where your stress level builds up. You get people bailing out after uh, three to four years of uh, their first year in schools. So I, I've had a teacher walk out mid-year or first year. I understand. It's not for everyone. and um, But I think what needs to be done is you have to have that team effort. You have to have bonding opportunities and, and uh, provide teachers with professional development opportunities, you know, find out what they want. Mm-hmm. But in, in, in finding out what they want, you also have to uh, be aware as to the needs of the building because, you know, you don't want people to go off and get training and uh, uh, bubble gum wrapping and it doesn't apply to the instructional uh, right. vision of the school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So looking ahead, have you, as an administrator um, in a school district right now, have you guys started thinking about the fall yet and what that could look like, whether it's going to be more of a hybrid or remote learning, or are you guys really just still trying to focus on getting to the end of the school year and what the summer sessions may look like? Have you even gotten to fall planning yet? We haven't gotten to fall planning, but ideas have been tossed out about it. And uh, it Mm -hmm. is definitely going to be a hybrid year. Uh, we are mm-hmm. trying to get something going for the summer. We don't want to waste that opportunity because, you know, we need all the time we can to, to reach these students. Um, we, we talked to teachers today about, you know, making sure that you're thinking about planning ahead. Um, it's a different type of lesson plan. You know, you have to think outside the box. You have to make yourself available Um to your students who may not be there for you. You know, it's, it's kind of hard to reach out to a kid when, you know, he's doing something else and you call mom or dad early in the morning and they're upset. So you have to prepare for all that and um, have a backup plan. But yes, we have been talking about uh, summer and the fall semester and, and trying to make sure this thing is going to go over a little smoother than it initially started. Do you think that a couple of positive things that we could maybe take from this is um, one? Obviously, now we we sort of have our minds wrapped around it and what's happened and what is potentially going to happen come fall, so we have a little bit more time to plan. And also, I've mentioned you know I've mentioned this in a couple other podcasts that I've done, but you know maybe some of those teachers that were a little resistant to new technology and using Zoom and sort of the the online learning maybe have branched out a little bit and are more open to doing that now and have maybe learned a few things about. Uh, using technology to teach. Yeah, I'm really excited about Zoom and GoToMeeting and things like that. And I, mm-hmm. I think there's a great advantage to it once they figure out all the hiccups. <laughs> um, yeah. But again, you know, it's a wonderful tool. But, you know, if you can't put the tools in the, in the hands of the people that need it, you mm-hmm. know, through resources like uh, Chromebooks and access to Wi-Fi. I mean, kids can't even go to McDonald's and sit at McDonald's to pick up Wi-Fi. So mm-hmm. somebody has to figure it out. I heard a rumor yeah. that uh, a district is uh, using school buses and creating pockets of Wi-Fi for kids in the community so they can have access to it. I mean, that would be great. It would even, That's, I have, that would be great. Yeah, it would even be great if... Uh, 
one of these large tech companies came in and placed towers somewhere. I mean, there are ways we can get around this, but you know, like they say, it takes a it takes the efforts of a community to accomplish that. Yeah, but I think that you know it's it's good to be thinking that way because now that we see what it is and what we're going to need um, for the fall, I'm really hoping that some of these things that you're talking about really come to fruition and some of these big you know million dollar billion dollar companies organizations are able to sort of step up and help with the educational needs. Um, you know, and maybe it's we put our federal dollars into just distance learning and learning from home instead of trying to put them back into the classroom setting. Um, you know, getting tools for the students and tools for the teacher to learn remotely and just have that be the plan. But, you know, who knows what's going to happen? I don't know. You don't know. I know we're all kind of just feeling it out, but I will be eager to be a part of that um, in any way, shape or form that we can be. Um, yeah. Obviously, all for the positive. So, um, a, well, a- Nate. What a great campaign that could be for one of these tech companies to go out. Wouldn't and to, it? Yeah. I mean, to say that we did this for this mm-hmm. group of folks, you know, remote, lo- remote learning is, is going to be the future one way or the other. If you think about yeah. it, what a great day to maintain uh, a great way to maintain your attendance rate. If a kid is out, he, ha- he still has access to instruction. Snow days, you know, some days we're out for a week. We can use that. And um, uh, have our attendance count towards the positive. Uh, I'm excited about it, and uh, if, if if it proves to be what I hope it will be, we can. Well, not only can we improve our attendance rates, uh, instructions not interrupted uh, for those snow days. Uh, mm-hmm. Absent students can still attend class virtually. It'll make a big difference, but we have mm-hmm. to find some way to be consistent with it all. Yeah. Well, and I think too, once some families kind of get over this initial hump of like, and I don't want to call it homeschooling, Mm -hmm. but being able to be more a part of their child's education with their child learning online at home, you know, because a lot of folks before were, I don't think that's for us and we really can't do that. And that wouldn't work for us. But now that they've sort of been forced to do it, I really have a feeling that more families are going to opt for, if it's not for health concerns, just for, um, you know, it being easier for them and more convenient for the kids to learn online, you know, so many hours a week, as opposed to having to be in a school building. So again, it's going to, it's going to be interesting to see how all of this plays out come fall. I'm, I'm interested to see what happens. Yeah. Uh, it, it's paramount to what, what we're going to do, uh, to help students succeed. So we have to figure it yeah. out. We do. It's always something, isn't it, Nate? Always something. (laughs) We're always jumping one hurdle or the next, aren't we? In education. Yeah, it it changes. But but we do it. We come back strong every time. It's not just the three R's anymore. (laughs) The three R's plus tech. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, Nate, you are always such a pleasure to talk to. And I appreciate your candor um, and all of your great. expertise and insight into the lower socioeconomic school districts. Um, Thanks so much for coming on the show. Okay. I appreciate you inviting me. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, This is Christy Hool, and I'm signing off for this episode of Classroom Matters. And don't forget to check out all of our free resources on the educate.today website.